You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Russian information operations surrounding the invasion of Ukraine, VMware patches vulnerabilities, F5 big IP vulnerabilities are undergoing active exploitation, the Texas Department of Insurance clarifies facts surrounding its data incident, Robert M. Lee from Dragos is heading to Davos to talk ICS, Rick Howard speaks with author Chase Cunningham on his book Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics and Strategies, and robo-calling the Kremlin. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, May 19th, 2022. Mandiant this morning published an overview of the Russian information operations it's tracked during the run-up to Russia's war against Ukraine through the actual invasion and continuing until now. Senior analyst Alden Wallstrom, one of the lead authors of this report, said that the research sought to exhibit how known actors and campaigns can be leveraged or otherwise refocused to support emerging security interests, including large-scale conflict. For years, analysts have documented that Ukraine, a key strategic interest of Russia's, is a testing ground for Russian cyber threat activity that they may subsequently deploy elsewhere. Now, we witness how pro-Russia actors have leveraged the assets and campaign infrastructure developed over time, in whole or part, to target Ukraine. The operations exhibit a mixture of disinformation and disruptive attacks, mostly ransomware, wiper malware disguised as ransomware, and nuisance-level distributed denial-of-service attacks. Defacement of Russian government websites began as early as January 14th of this year, with messages claiming theft and subsequent deletion of data. February 23rd, the eve of the invasion proper, saw a repetition of this style of attack. In this case, the defacements coincided with destructive attacks against Ukrainian government targets using the near-miss master boot record wiper and party ticket wiper disguised as ransomware. And during the war itself, on March 16th, a deepfake video of Ukrainian President Zelensky appearing to announce surrender to Russia was distributed over compromised Ukrainian news sites. This incident coincided with another wiper attack. Some familiar threat actors have been in evidence. APT-28, Fancy Bear, the GRU, has been behind much of the Russian activity, and the allied ghostwriter operators of Belarus's satellite intelligence and security services have also been active in the Russian interest. 
The Internet Research Agency, well known as an election-meddling troll farm, seems to have resurfaced as Kyber, that is Cyber Force Z, and resumed influence and amplification operations. And there have been the usual covert media outlets working under inauthentic persona. Kyber Force Z's style is as familiar as it is tasteless, featuring a Russian-uniformed Pepe the Frog. There's also been some nominally hacktivist activity conducted in support of Russia. Mandiant notes, Established hacktivist personas Joker DNR and Baragini have remained active in their targeting of Ukraine in the lead-up to and since Russia's invasion, including through their publication of allegedly leaked documents featuring possibly personally identifiable information of Ukrainian military members. Additionally, newly established hacktivist groups whose degrees of affiliation to the Russian state are yet unknown, like Kilnet, Zaknet, and Rodit, have engaged in hacktivist-style threat activity in support of Russia, including distributed denial-of-service attacks, hack and leak operations, and defacements. There is, we think, a strong likelihood that these hacktivist personae are operating under the control of, or at least direction, of Moscow's intelligence services. The report concludes by offering its take on the outlook for influence campaigns aligned with Russian goals. Russian operators can be expected to continue to push disinformation with a probable assist from their satellite services in Belarus. China and Iran serve as allies of convenience, retailing Russian themes when it serves those regimes' long-standing anti-Western strategic goals. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency released an alert, AA-22-138B, threat actors chaining unpatched VMware vulnerabilities for full system control, which warns that malicious cyber actors, likely advanced persistent threat actors, are exploiting CVE-2022-22954 and CVE-2022-22960 separately and in combination. The alert adds, CISA expects malicious cyber actors to quickly develop a capability to exploit newly released vulnerabilities CVE-2022-22972 and CVE-2022-22973 in the same impacted VMware products. In response, CISA has released Emergency Directive 22-03 Mitigate VMware Vulnerabilities, which requires emergency action from federal civilian executive branch agencies to either immediately implement the updates or remove the affected software from their network until the updates can be applied. U.S. federal civilian agencies have until next Tuesday to identify and remediate the issues. Yesterday, CISA also issued Alert AA22-138A, Threat Actors Exploiting F5 Big IP CVE 2022-1388, which warned that the flaw was being exploited in the wild and advised users to either upgrade F5 Big IP software to patched and supported versions or, should that not be immediately feasible, to implement the three temporary mitigations F5 has provided. The Texas Department of Insurance has distributed a fact sheet that clarifies a data incident the agency sustained earlier this year. It says, in January 2022, TDI found the issue was due to a programming code error that allowed Internet access to a protected area of the application. TDI promptly disconnected the web application from the Internet, 
After correcting the programming code, TDI placed the web application back online. The forensic investigation could not conclusively rule out that certain information on the web application was accessed outside of TDI. This does not mean all the information was viewed by people outside TDI. Because we could not rule out access, we took steps to notify those who may have been affected. While data could have been accessed by unauthorized personnel, TDI has investigated and found that there is no evidence to date that there was a misuse of information. Finally, imagine a conversation that went something like this. What are you talking about, Vladimir Vladimirovich? There's no IP freely here? No? Then why did you call me Sergei Kuzgetich? Or words to that effect. Activists looking for ways of throwing sand in the gears of Russian governance have established a website, WasteRussianTime.today, according to Wired's story, where, if you're of like mind, you can place robot calls that connect a couple of Kremlin apparatchiki while you listen in as they try to figure out who called them. The technology the hacktivist group uses is first cousin to that employed by the people who call you about extending your car warranty or getting credit card interest relief. Wired quotes one of the service's organizers as explaining, This war started inside Moscow and St. Petersburg within the power circles of Putin, and that's who we want to annoy and disturb. So the effort is meant to be irritating, and no doubt it is, but these aren't prank calls in the classical genre, like calling the local smoke shop inquiring whether they've got Prince Albert in a can and then saying, well, you'd better let him out or like asking the bartender to page Amanda Hug and Kiss. The organizers decided against facilitating such direct interaction, which they deemed too dangerous to the participants who might inadvertently reveal their identity or location. What they did instead was to set up a program that would initiate a voice-over-IP call, automatically dialing 40 of the leaked Kremlin phone numbers, and merging the user into a three-way call with the first two Russian officials' phones that connect. We're of two minds on this. On the one hand, it's difficult to summon much sympathy for robocalling or even hacktivism in general, which have typically been marked by poor control, bad aim, and unintended effects. When Wired tried out the service, they found there were some difficulties connecting two Russian parties. Apparently, there are latency issues— there are also sources and methods issues. Christo Grozev of Bellingcat, and no stranger himself to prank calls, explained this particular downside to Wired. He said, Whenever something like this becomes public, the whole department changes their numbers, and that's not good for investigations, including journalistic investigations. On the other hand, it's difficult not to appreciate what this group is doing, at least as conceptual art. So, for your consideration, a thought experiment. What if the prank calls weren't placed by various outraged randos, but by, oh, say, U.S. Cyber Command, known to many as a pretty low-latency outfit? We're fairly sure there must be some Title X authority for ordering two dozen anchovy pizzas for delivery to the Russian president's office. If that is, you can still get a pizza in Moscow. So we say, Rear Admiral John Jack Mihoff, call Fort Meade. America has need of you in this hour. And General Nakasone, you're welcome.
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. You're listening to the theme song of the HBO long-running hit Game of Thrones, the unofficial anthem for the Cybersecurity Canon Project, the project designed to find the must-read books for all cybersecurity professionals because one of the greatest characters of all time, Tyrion Lannister, had this to say about reading books. Why'd you read so much? Well, my brother has his sword, and I have my mind, and a mind needs books like a sword needs a whetstone. That's why I read so much Jon Snow. Which means it's Cybersecurity Canon Week here at the Cyberwire, where we are interviewing all the Canon Hall of Fame inductee authors for the 2022 season. I'm Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer, Chief Analyst, and Senior Fellow at the Cyberwire. And today's book is called Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics, and Strategies by Dr. Chase Cunningham. Enjoy. I'm joined today by Dr. Chase Cunningham, the Chief Strategy Officer for Aircom Software. Congratulations on your selection to the Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame, and thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I was uh, very pleasantly surprised to notice that uh, somebody read my book, much less that it made it into a <laughs> Hall of Fame. So more than your mom read it, so that's good to know. Yeah, All right. right. So you're no stranger to the Cybersecurity Canon Project. Your graphic novels, The Senja, Volume 1, and Code of the Senja, Volume 2, 
were selected as candidates back in 2017 when they came out. And they are still great introductory books for children of all ages. The ideas in this book, Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics, and Strategies, published in 2020, is a much broader concept. So uh, why'd you write it? Well, I didn't think that there was a whole lot of nonfiction books that were very accurate on the strategic sort of side of cyber warfare. And I also saw that there was a gap in folks looking at it from a real practitioner standpoint. There was a lot of uh, kind of coverage media wise and whatever, but I didn't find anything where someone who had done the work had written a a book about it. So you mentioned uh, like strategically defending at the edge. Is that what we were talking about? You call it edge and entity security, EES. Is that what we're talking about here? I think that's the follow-on evolution of moving past just strictly uh, sort of human identity and access management. I think really what we're talking about there is everything nowadays has an identity, a a router, a firewall, a a thermostat, a user, a robot, you name it. We all have an identity, and it's going to operate on the edge of control. It's going to be some sort of digital entity. So then apply your controls that way. So when I was reading through the book and you were describing EES or edge and entity security, it sounded similar to the Gartner concept of SASE or secure access service edge. Are are those two things the same thing or are they different? I think that they're in the same line and parallel. I think Gartner's approach is a little bit more limited because they're looking at the market specifics and which which tools do what. For me, I was looking at the bigger, broad, long-term implications there. But I don't think that they're totally orthogonal to each other at all. So they're in the same ballpark. And so the SASE model says we're going to flip the architecture on its head. In the old days, like when I was growing up, the security folks would manage the security stack behind the perimeter, behind that dead perimeter defense thing you were talking about. But with SASE and now Edge and ND Security, the architecture is flipping so that you hire a cloud provider to manage your security stack and the first hop from all of your devices, wherever they are, your employees' phones or, you know, laptops or cloud services, whatever they are, the first hop out to the internet goes through that cloud provider security stack. And then all you have to do is manage the policy. So how is that fundamentally different than this EES thing you're talking about? It's really not. I mean, I think that the interesting thing is the most difficult part of that problem you're talking about to manage actually becomes the policy. It's no longer that it's difficult to manage at the entity level because the entities kind of do what they do and they need to access things that they need to access. But the control plane is the policy engine. And if you don't have a really good policy engine, you can't keep up. And like you were saying, because we operate at scale and because we operate so dynamically, you have to be able to do that with uh, automated solutions that have those capabilities. I, I realize the policy would be complicated, but it's one policy scattered across all those data islands we we're talking about. So presumably it makes it simpler, but I understand what you're saying. It doesn't make it um, uh, easy, I guess is the way to say it. It's still going to be a complex policy, right? Yeah, it's got to be accurate, I think is the most important part. The ease will come with... Uh, with rollout, but it has to be extremely accurate and it's got to be something that's uh, updated dynamically. So it's good stuff, Chase, and the book is excellent. So congratulations on that. This has been Dr. Chase Cunningham, the Chief Strategy Officer of Ericom Software and the most recent author inductee into the Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame. Dr. Cunningham, congratulations and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. For more information on the Cybersecurity Canon project, go to your favorite search engine and look up Cybersecurity Canon. That's Canon with one N as in Canon of literature, not two N's where you blow stuff up. 
and Ohio State University, the project's official sponsor. If you like what you hear and want to hear the full interview, subscribe to CyberWire Pro today to get access to the latest episodes of CSO Perspectives, plus much more. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, I noticed that uh, you have uh, an interesting event uh, coming up on your calendar here <laughs> towards the end of May. You're taking a trip to Switzerland for a presentation. What's going on here? So the, the event is the World Economic Forum's Davos uh, Conference. And uh, so for a couple of years now, I've been on the World Economic Forum in their uh, electricity subcommittee and oil and gas subs- uh, subcommittees kind of evangelizing and talking about OT security and kind of helping those conversations. Luckily, those committees are made up of CSOs of other large infrastructure companies and they're like super on top of it. So it's been very, very good interactions. Beyond me being kind of excited and humbled of like, oh, cool, I got into Davos. The thing that actually excites me is OT security got into Davos. Right. It, it's, I, I think it's less like, oh, we know who Rob was. And it's more of like, oh, we need to talk about OT security. Is Rob the guy? Then fine, let's do that. But the, the focus... Yeah. Is CEOs, board members, parliament members, you know, world leaders, et cetera, are actually focused on cool. We need to talk about world order, Russia, Ukraine uh, conflict that's going on. We need to talk about climate change and how we're going to get there, and we need to talk about OT security. It's like, oh wow, you know, like that—that's a kind of a level up of that discussion, and it feels kind of like a almost like a coming out party globally on this topic of industrial security that we've been talking about for so long. Yeah, I mean, can we touch on that? I mean, the 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 fact that that this has been elevated to this level uh, overall. I mean, I think we could say a good thing. But um, you've been shouting about this from the sidelines for quite a while now. It must be gratifying for you that uh, folks at this level are ready to hear what you have to say. Yeah, it it is. But I am immediately thinking about the next thing, which is great. We got their attention. Now, how do we deliver? Mm-hmm. What I'm finding is at a global leader stage, truly. I mean, like when I, I still have conversations to this day with different government leaders and CEOs and whatnot anyways. And what's very, very common is they genuinely think the problem is already kind of solved, not realizing how bad of a place they're in. And what I mean by that is nobody thinks cybersecurity is solvable. They all understand it's a process. But they'll they'll say, well, look at all these standards, these frameworks, these regulations, and look at this. I get these board slides with these FICO scores and this cybersecurity framework, heat maps, and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Look at all we're doing. And every conversation, I'm like, great. CISO uh, or CSO or whoever's presenting it to the CEO, is that enterprise IT or is that the enterprise? Every time, oh, yeah, that's enterprise IT. And the CEOs will like look at me like, wait, no, 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 that includes our factories. That includes our... You know, oil fields that includes our substations and the CSO. No, sir, or ma'am. Like what? Uh, enterprise IT, and it is a light bulb moment for these executives, board members, world leaders when they realize hmm. all the cybersecurity efforts. Probably ninety-five percent of it has been put towards the IT side of the house, 
and not the operations technology side of the house, which is what's the critical part of that company and what's keeping that company in business. That's where the safety impacts can happen. That's where the revenue is generated. And for a CEO to realize that they're spending 10 times the amount of money on the website than they are the gas turbine is insane. But there's so many executives that are intimate on their business. And there's a lot of CSOs I meet that are not. I meet a lot of CSOs that are wonderful, especially in the sectors we work. But you will find a lot of CSOs are like, well, here's the playbook to run, or here's the NIST cybersecurity framework, or here's what we're going to do. And they're not really in tune with what the business is trying to accomplish. And so the big risk is that the CEOs get better educated on the OT problem and risk than their security staff. And then you're going to lose trust and you're going to see a flip in how those businesses handle that. And you don't want that. You want the internal experts to be the voice to the executives. You want the internal experts to be the people they turn to, not government vendors or standards bodies. Um, but I think that's, that's the risk. Um, but the, the opportunity is, with an understanding of what hasn't been getting done, the security staff who are plugged in, have an amazing opportunity to talk about where they need resourcing and what they're trying to accomplish and to not platinum and gold coat it, but to get down to the couple things, like the five critical things that you'd have to do inside of industrial operations environments. So we can really see an up-leveling of security globally, but it's going to require real candid conversations and no finger pointing. To that point, I mean, when you head off to something like this to give this sort of presentation to this kind of audience, how do you calibrate what they're ready to hear. So I don't. <laughs> uh, usually anytime that I'm in an audience, and this is maybe what gets me critique, but also gets me listened to, I guess, is I just am transparent and candid. It's, hey, I don't really care if you're ready for this or not. Here's the problem. Because as much as I love, I, th- I think a lot of people in the infrastructure community sometimes will look at me as like, I just love the infrastructure community. And that's true. But the real reason I love the infrastructure community is because they're servicing our citizens. And like I think about my family in Coleman, Alabama, and the Coleman Power Cooperative delivering power to their house. And I'm not there to support Coleman Cooperative Power Company. I'm there to support the livelihood of my family that needs that critical infrastructure. If that means helping them, then of course I'm on board with that. Um, and, and so, but if it means like, oh, I might insult somebody by telling them that they're not really doing good security work, that's not my concern. I'm happy just to have candid conversations. So, just aligning on what we're talking about, being candid and transparent about the challenges, but not blaming people. It's not your staff is stupid for not doing this. It's, hey, the world has changed. And we are going through a transformation. And you may have been fine two years ago doing this, but the world ahead of us is dicey. And these programs take a while to get off the ground. You need to start now. And, and, and this is what you need to do. I think that's a perfectly viable CEO conversation. All right. We're looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Rachel Gelfand, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.